last chapter of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. O Lord, use your servants' lips and your people's ears and hearts that as they are joined together today, the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The question came to those at the end of the Gospel of Matthew the disciples that the Gospel of Matthew is talking about, what comes next? What happens now? Now that all of the things that Matthew has described from the birth of Jesus to his crucifixion and resurrection, then what? The disciples were in unprecedented territory. They didn't know what was happening. Their world had been turned upside down. They had gone down to Jerusalem. Now, let me just give you a brief lesson on what I think you need to know about geography in the New Testament. There are two bodies of water that will orient you in the land of Israel, ancient and modern. The first is the Sea of Galilee, which is up north near the headwaters of the Jordan River. The Sea of Galilee, we think about it, we read about it. If you ever have the chance to go to the Sea of Galilee, it will be 90 times smaller than you imagined. The Sea of Galilee is about 12 miles from north to south, 3 to 5 miles from east to west. You can see the other side wherever you are. That doesn't mean it's not scary when the wind comes. I can't swim three miles. I don't know about you. However, the way that the wind comes through the mountains and hits the Sea of Galilee in very specific ways makes it a dangerous spot. That's the north. Around the Sea of Galilee, we have sites such as Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. Capernaum, which is Jesus' adopted hometown. All of the miracles that take place in the Galilee region, the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, all of that is up there around the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you go down the Jordan River, which flows due south from the Sea of Galilee, eventually you're going to make it to the Dead Sea, the lowest spot on the earth, where all of the sediment and all of the minerals that have come from the Jordan River all collect, and that's why the sea, the, the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, um, as it is called in the, uh, in the Old Testament, 
in places. That's why you can lean back and you, you won't drown. You might be able to drown if you try to drown yourself, but it would be a terribly, a terribly unpleasant experience because it's so salty, it would get all in your eyes. That's down south, though, the Dead Sea. So you've got the Jordan River, the fresh waters of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River continues on down, and you've got the salt waters of the Dead Sea. And if you look to about 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock off to the, the north, west side of the Dead Sea, there's Jerusalem. So just as a geographical point of reference, the disciples have been in Jerusalem. They got there for Holy Week. They were there when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the donkey for uh, the triumphant entry, Palm Sunday. They were there throughout Holy Week. On Friday, Jesus is crucified. But all of this happens in Jerusalem. Jerusalem and Bethlehem are down there in the south. But then, after the resurrection, Jesus says, go back up to Galilee, to the mountain that I've told you to, to meet me on, and there I will meet you. Now, it's not very much of a drive from Jerusalem to Galilee, but it's a whole lot of a walk from Jerusalem to Galilee. Um, I'm happy to walk about a block, a block and a half. Uh, I'm less happy if I have to walk a mile or a mile and a half. One of my interns that was with me at Franklin for a while, uh, there, there was a donut shop right on the corner adjacent to the church. And I said to him one day, let's go and get lunch. Yeah, you know, they sold lunch at the donut shop too, although that's not the most important thing they sold. They, they sold donuts. And so we went out front and, and we drove to the donut shop, which was one block away. And we arrived and he looked at me and he said, did we really do that? I said, yes, we did. We did just really do that. Well, from Jerusalem in the south to Nazareth, Galilee in the north, they had to pack their bags. They, they had to go. They had to wonder on the way there, what is it that's next? They thought when they went to Jerusalem that they were going to be a part of a revolution. They thought when they got to Jerusalem that the Roman power over the Jewish people would be overthrown and that the Jews would have self-governance once again. They thought they were a part of a messianic movement where that was going to take place. But Jesus had been crucified and his followers had gone back up north. What else was there to do in Jerusalem? So the disciples are asking this question, what comes next? Everything we thought was going to happen is not what's turned out to have happened. And there's this strange phenomenon of the teacher who was crucified now appearing and talking and teaching and now coming together with us and what comes next we simply don't understand. Now that's in the narrative. But let's put the narrative in its literary setting. The Gospel of Matthew according to most scholars, was, was written somewhere between the year 70 A.D. And, and maybe 85, or some would put it even later than that. What's going on in the world as the Gospel of Matthew is being written? Number one, the eyewitnesses 
to the teachings of Jesus, to the life, to the death and resurrection of Jesus, the eyewitnesses are dying off. And so, since the world has not come to an end, since the Lord has not yet returned, people were beginning to realize that if the remarkable person of Jesus and his teachings and his way of life were going to be remembered, if the gospel was going to be remembered, it needed to be written down. And so, somewhere in the years of 70 and following, we have four different writers who worked together using some common material, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John put their gospels together and shared them with the church, and it's come down to us. But what's happening in the history when, when Matthew is writing his gospel that comes to an end with these verses that we just looked at? What's going on in history? Well, there's a lot going on in history, as a matter of fact. The year 69 A.D. was one of the most tumultuous years, politically speaking, that the Roman Empire had known. In fact, the year 69 A.D. was known as the year of the four emperors. Now understand that this is a big deal. It's a big deal because the Roman Empire made extraordinary, incredible claims about its power. In fact, when a person says Jesus is Lord, they are, in essence, denying the common saying in Roman culture that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the answer to everyone's prayers, says the cult of Rome. Caesar is the one who imposes peace on a chaotic world. Caesar is the one who makes sure that men and women in Roman society can live free and live well. And in the time of Jesus and shortly thereafter, the Roman imperial cult suggested that the answer to everyone's prayers was to pray to and for Caesar, who was at various points, declared to be a god. But in 69 AD, shortly before most people believed that Matthew was being written, there were four emperors in one year. Politics was proving not to be the great stabilizing force that anyone had thought that it might be. And in the year 69, Galba, Ortho, Vitellius, Vespasian, all were emperors in a one-year span. There were things happening in religion, too. The destruction of the temple at Jerusalem and the destruction of Jerusalem happened in the year 70. The cult of the Jews... The sacrificial system, the place where the laws of Moses had been carried out for centuries, was now destroyed. A religious upheaval like none other was taking place. Even the earth itself seemed to be changing. Pompeii experienced in 63 the great earthquake that created such destruction. And, depending on when Matthew was writing his gospel, Mount Vesuvius, the great volcano, 
erupted in 79. It must have seemed to people in Matthew's day like the world of politics, the world of religion, the world of even geology had gone mad and everything they thought they could depend on and everything they thought was permanent suddenly proved to be temporary. So the question becomes, what does the Gospel of Matthew have to say to men and women in uncertain times? I bet if I, were, if I had asked you five months ago, what do you think church is going to look like on June the whatever it is, the 8th, I've lost track of days. I do know today's Sunday because I'm wearing a robe. If I'd ask you, what is, what is church going to look like? The beginning of June, the first Sunday of June. This is not what you would have described. If you had looked at your 401k 18 months ago and projected what it would be like almost halfway through 2020, you probably would not have guessed that it would look like it might look now. If you were to have described your perfect birthday or anniversary or whatever it is that you've not celebrated. I've had a pandemic birthday. Mine was back in April. I'm an introvert, though, so I'm fine with somebody coming to my house, my daughter coming and cooking me an apple pie. Fine with that, but if, if you were asked... What do you think the world would look like halfway through 2020? This wouldn't be it. We live in uncertain times in the streets. There's rioting across the nation. In our judicial system, we see that there are some who are not enjoying the justice that our founding fathers and the best of our thinkers have believed characterized America. We see that our lives have been upended, that college students suddenly came home, that high school students suddenly stopped going to school. And we as a church are asking things like, will there be tailgate Sunday at the end of the summer? Will there be football in the fall? And we simply don't know. What does Matthew have to say to us in uncertain times. Matthew has the same thing to say to us in our uncertainty as he had to say to his original readers. And he builds to this climax, he brings his gospel to a conclusion with a few statements and reminders. First he says, return to the place where Jesus has promised to meet us. The disciples had been told, go back to Galilee. Here you are down here in Jerusalem. Pack your bags. Get on your donkeys or however it is that you travel. Go back up to home territory and meet me where I told you you'd find me. I suspect there are places in your life where God has revealed himself to you, where God has met you. There's a church in Pamplico, South Carolina, Hannah, South Carolina, actually, Bethlehem United Methodist Church. God has met me there at, at various points in my life. 
I remember listening to the preacher and being touched and, and coming and kneeling at the front of the church and believing that God was somehow active in my life as I responded to a message that was preached. It was there in the front of that church that I was baptized. It was there in the front of that church that I was confirmed. I preached my first sermon in that church. Melinda and I exchanged our wedding vows right there in front of that altar. I've gone back and preached my grandparents' funerals there at that church. It's a very special place for me. It's a place that I have encountered God over and over again. These particular verses that are our lectionary reading today. These verses have a place in my heart. God called me, first of all, to be a part of the life of the church. God calls us all to be witnesses of Jesus Christ and to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world. And I knew that long before I knew that God had called me to be a preacher. I knew that God had called me to be a part of His project in the world a part of what he was doing in the world. And these are the verses that taught me that. These are the verses that showed me that the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus leads to something. And what it leads to is the church. What it leads to is life in light of the gospel. What it leads to is Jesus Christ himself accompanying us on the journey. I think Matthew would tell us, return to the place where Jesus has promised to meet us. And there are many of those places. You can encounter the Lord in the words of Scripture. You can encounter the Lord through the words of prayer. And if you don't know how to pray, God's given us a template. God's given us words. If you don't know how to pray, use the Lord's Prayer. Use the Psalms. God has given us Himself and told us we can meet Him in serving others and loving others. Whenever you've done it to the least of one of these, my brothers or sisters, you have done it to me. We can encounter Jesus by serving others. I think Matthew, if he were talking to us in uncertain times, would also remind us that we can acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. Jesus himself here at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is Lord. It's Right here. Jesus is Lord over all. In the words of the creed, all that is seen and unseen. Jesus is Lord. The earliest confession of Christianity is that. That Jesus is in charge. It is His program that will unfold in the history of the world. It is His love that shows God's intention for us. Jesus is Lord over all. There are places that we can go and there are experiences that we can have. 
that sometimes make us wonder how God's plan is unfolding. I love Matthew 28, 17. Let me read that again to you in case you missed it the first time. The 11 make the trip from Jerusalem on up to the Galilee region again, and then they encounter Jesus. And I love it. I love their reaction. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They saw him, and they worshipped him, but some doubted. In the Gospel of Matthew, there, there is this tension between faith and doubt. You see it in the story of Peter. Lord, if it is you, bid me come out on the water to join you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter, in this act of extraordinary faith, gets out and begins walking on the water. But that faith does not exist in a vacuum. Suddenly, he sees everything else around him. And he becomes afraid, and he starts to sink. And Jesus grabs him by the hand and lifts the doubter up. When they saw him, they acknowledged him but some doubted. We acknowledge as God's people that Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth and even though the mountains shake, the earth quakes, even though the virus is out there and we don't quite understand how it mutates, how it is conveyed, even though there's a lot of things we don't know, Jesus is Lord over all, the creator of heaven and earth, through Him creates all that is. Jesus is Lord. That's what Matthew says to those who are in troubled times. Matthew invites us to be disciples who make disciples. Those who are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because as Christians... This is the God whom we worship. One God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. We worship God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is a mystery. Sometimes we can almost wrap our minds around it and have an insight that is true, but the Trinity is a mystery, how there is a threeness and a oneness together, and yet this canon of Scriptures that we have requires requires us to take seriously that God is for us. And we don't divide the Trinity as if God the Father is angry and God the Son wants to save us. And God, God is all about salvation for His people. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work together for the salvation of the world. We're to be disciples who make disciples. Baptizing and teaching. Now let me share with you that in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is understood to be the new Moses. This is shown on the Sermon of the Mount, for example. Moses gives the law from Mount Sinai. 
and brings the law to the people of God called Israel. And from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus brings the Christian ethic to Christianity. And so the teaching of Jesus is the teaching that that Matthew lays out. This is what he would have us remember. This is what he would have us obey. This teaching that Jesus brings. And just as there was a sign of the old covenant, the first covenant, the sign of circumcision that was given to Abraham, that was given through the Mosaic law and the people of Israel, there's a sign of the covenant, and that sign is baptism in the name of the triune God. Be disciples who make disciples, teaching and obeying Jesus. I'm a grammar nut. Some of you may not be grammar nuts and may not know the difference between a noun and an adverb, and that's okay. I'm a grammar nut for, for, for all of us. But, but, but one of the things that in grammar you pay attention to is the imperative, a command. Do something. Go, clean your room. Get me a piece of fish. The last command in the Gospel of Matthew, the last imperative in the grammar is this. Remember. Remember. So Matthew writing to a world that might seem to be coming apart at the edges. Matthew who addresses us down through the centuries Matthew ends his gospel with a clear command to remember. I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. My life's been turned upside down in my family's life in the last couple of weeks. And I appreciate all of you who have, who have prayed for us in the last couple of weeks. And please, continue. All of our lives have been turned upside down in the last couple of months because we didn't see this coming. We didn't know what a world would look like where the economy was closed. Where there was a sickness going around that is not quite sure how, how it's transmitted or who gets it or why it affects some people in, in some ways and others not so much. We didn't know on March 8th, which was the last time this sanctuary was almost full, that Sean was going to become pastor of First United Methodist Church in London in the middle of the summer. We didn't know. There's a lot we don't know. But to those who don't know, to those who are living in uncertain times, Matthew writing in a time of great uncertainty, Matthew writing to a people who wonder what's next, ends with this simple command from the lips of Jesus, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Whatever you're going through, whatever your challenges 
Remember the power of Christ who is Lord over all. And remember the promise of Christ that He is always with you. Dear friends, remember, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.